Well, are you ready for Christmas? Yes. <laughs> Getting ready means different things to different people, but almost uh, everyone gets ready in some way, no matter what Christmas is to them. Cards to address, gifts to buy, packages to wrap and to send, invitations to RSVP, activities and events to get to, and in many cases to get through, trips to plan, houses, if not halls, to deck. I caught some of the White House Christmas special on, HT, on HGTV last week, and I was astounded to learn that there are no less than 54 full-size Christmas trees in the White House. They've been getting ready for a long time. In my own preparations, I encountered what qualifies as one of the most annoying, if not the most annoying, additions to the holiday. Last week, I went to Postal Solutions to mail a package, and I was greeted by their Christmas countdown clock. There it was, bright red numbers, two feet tall. Well, actually, just two inches tall, but it seemed like two feet. Counting down. Counting down not just the days, but the hours, the minutes, the seconds, and the tenths of seconds until Christmas comes. When I went in, I wasn't particularly anxious about getting everything done before Christmas. I've been steadily checking things off my list for weeks now. But I have to tell you that just standing there in line for a few minutes in the glare of that countdown clock raised my blood pressure several points and gave me the feeling that I shouldn't be standing there, that time is flying, I better get out of that line and do something because Christmas is on its way. That clock is a real cure for Christmas anxiety. Not. Getting ready. There's always something more to do. And many of us will sit down on Christmas Eve with this vague, unfocused anxiousness that surely there must be something that we've left undone. Here's one thing I hope you haven't left for the last minute. Have you heard the good news this Christmas season? The good news is Jesus. Have you encountered in a deeper way the central figure of this event, the one in whom any legitimate and real celebration must have its center. Have you heard the good news? Have you met Jesus? Jesus is God's gift to us. The gift not just for Christmas time, but for all time, indeed for all eternity, God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. These opening words to the Gospel of John don't mince words in identifying Jesus. The writer simply lays bare the facts, recognizing that this one demands a response. Notice that there's no presentation of the writer's credentials. All he says is, we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. You see, it's an eyewitness account of the human encounter with the incarnate God. 
the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's the Incarnation. Incarnation is one of those theological concepts that we have to be very careful with. We've come to think of the Incarnation as God wrapping Himself in humanity for a time, appearing to be human, accepting identification for a time as a human being, wearing a disguise that made all who met him during that period of time think that he was just like them. Recently, I heard a preacher describe the incarnation as God putting on a suit of humanity. But the incarnation is much more than that. It is not the word clothed himself with flesh, but the word became flesh. Without ceasing to be God, he entered fully into the human condition. He gave up certain rights and privileges and prerogatives of divinity in order to be one of us and one with us. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. He made his dwelling among us. The word that is used here in the prologue to John's gospel is connected to the idea of pitching a tent. Now for us, tent has the sense of the temporary, not the permanent. It has the sense of something we camp out in just for fun or something we might resort to in emergency for housing. But it carries just the opposite idea here. Not the idea of temporariness, but the idea of permanence. Not for a while, but for good. For the Jewish readers of John's Gospel, the language would have recalled the tent of meeting. That tabernacle where God met the people of Israel in the wilderness as they wandered. A place where they could be sure to meet him. An assurance of his presence with them. That tent was a sign of God being in their camp. Wherever they went, there he was. But that tent, that tabernacle, looked forward to the day when God would dwell with his people, would tabernacle with his people, that coming day when they would live completely secure in the company of God. And that tabernacling, I tell you, has happened in Jesus Christ. God has made his dwelling with us. He has pitched his tent. He's established his residence here among us. A fellow pastor tells about finding graffiti on the back door of the church he serves. Somebody wrote in permanent black magic marker on the back door of that church, God was here. A random act of vandalism, with a smart guy theological twist to it. God was here. Great thing to write on a church. Some days later, this pastor noticed that the graffiti had been changed. It had been altered. Another vandal, or perhaps the same graffiti artist, had crossed out was and had written above it the word is, so that it no longer read God was here, but carried a more theologically accurate statement. God is here. 
And so in a scrawl on the back door of a church, the good news of Christmas is proclaimed, God is here. That was the message announced by angels, heard by shepherds, pondered over by Mary, sought by wise men, feared by King Herod, unnoticed by the world in general. It was the little baby Jesus. God is here. That's the message of Christmas. And how profoundly comforting that is. When you stop to think about the year that ends a week from tomorrow and the new year that begins. Not just that God was here, but that God is here. God has been here and God will be here. We have not faced yesterday alone and we will not face tomorrow bereft of the God who made us and redeemed us. He is here, moving among us, being God, not from the heavenly throne of majesty and power alone, but from the closest of proximities, living with us. He is here because the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. On that special day, the day after tomorrow now, celebrate the glorious everyday fact of the presence of God. He's no stranger to the human condition. He's one of us. He came in the midst of the loneliness and the horror of a world gone mad. And yet, in the chaos and confusion, Jesus is the good news that God is here. We've had ample reason to ask in the last 10 days, where in the world is God? He is here in Jesus Christ, the God who ever lives among us. He identifies with our pain because he knew loneliness, rejection, and loss. The writer of Hebrews said, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Joseph Damien was a 19th century missionary to people with Hansen's disease, what used to be called leprosy on the Hawaiian island of Molokai. Those he served grew to love him because of the sacrificial life that he lived out before them. One morning after he had been with them for several years, just before he was to lead daily worship, Father Damien was pouring some hot water into a cup when the water sloshed out and fell onto his bare foot. And it took him a moment to realize that he had not felt anything, no sensation at all. And gripped by the sudden fear of what this could mean, he poured another drop or two of hot water on the same spot on his foot and had no feeling there, whatever. And Damien realized immediately what had happened to him. He usually began his sermon with the words, my fellow believers. But that morning he began with, my fellow lepers. 
in an even greater way. Jesus identifies with us as a human being, and he's paid the price of that identification in his perfection, paying the penalty of our sins so that we might be forgiven, undergoing for an awful time abandonment by God so that we might have our eternal home with God. He came full of grace. That's verse 14. He came full of grace, and from that fullness of his grace, we have all received grace upon grace. That's verse 16. God is here, not merely as a bystander, an observer, interested but unwilling or unable to act, but he's here as the giver of what we need. No matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Jesus Christ. Jesus means yes to God's promises. Grace upon grace. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Imagine yourself at the beach. I know it's hard to do these days with the rain and the cold and the severe winter weather we've been having. <laughs> but imagine yourself at the beach and see the waves, how they come one right after another. And take that as a picture of the grace and goodness of God. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Wave after wave after wave after wave. One blessing after another. Are you living a graceless life? You ought not to be. Jesus, God who lives among us full of grace and from the fullness of his grace we have all received grace upon grace. The problem isn't on the supply end of that grace. It's on your end, the receiving end. Those who are without grace have simply refused to believe and to receive. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He came full of grace and full of truth. He appeared in the world to bring God's grace and God's truth. Jesus was rejected not because he lied, but because he told the truth about God and himself and the world and us and sin and salvation. If it weren't for Jesus, people would go forever groping after God, fashioning rough approximations of general ideas of who he is and what he wants worshiping false gods of their own making, hoping that somehow in their groping they would find God and please this one who remains unknown. The gift of Jesus means the end of all that. Here's the truth about God. Here, God is not merely defined but encountered. 
Here he is not only pointed at, but experienced. Here is the truth about him, Jesus. Here's how God is inclined toward us. Here's the good news. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Call him Emmanuel, God with us. Call him Jesus, Yeshua, God saves. Centuries before that first Christmas, the prophet Isaiah prayed, God, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. It's the cry of people who have exhausted their own resources and given up on the polite, restrained prayers to God. It's the prayer of those who look at the disorder and chaos and ruin of their world and pray for a miracle to fix it. It's the plea of those who want God and want him now. It's the cry of those to whom God seems absent and silent, those for whom prayer has become routine and powerless. It's the desperate appeal of people who are lost and need to be saved. Tear open the heavens and come down. Isaiah prayed it on behalf of his people that the curtain which hides God from them would be torn apart and that God would make his presence felt in their lives as he had before. And I think there's something in each of us that can identify with that desperate prayer. We are weary with our world, are we not? We long for a God who is present and visible, who stands beside us, but that's hardly ever our experience. Oh, sometimes there's the blinding flash of light. There's that unmistakable voice from above. But, but God speaks most often in whispers, not shouts. He appears most often in the shadows, not in blazing, blinding light. Even in Christmas, when God did come down, there's more of the whisper than the shout, more of the shadow than the light. That's not how we've come to think of it. In our mind's eye, the Bethlehem star shines a spotlight on the manger, visible for miles, a real beacon. That's how we imagine it, isn't it? But not really. It happened in Bethlehem, not Rome, in a stable, not a palace, among peasants, not royalty a helpless baby, not a powerful king. Even in the gift of God himself, the eyes and ears of faith are needed to see and hear. To all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become the children of God. God did not take the cover off heaven and let us look in. Rather, he came quietly to earth, out of the spotlight, with a whispered invitation to faith. Shepherds didn't all see the angels and hear them sing. Wise men didn't all come to pay homage and worship. Many stayed home. Phillips Brooks' Christmas Carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, 
captures perfectly this phenomenon of God in the whisper, God in the shadows, the God who is to be believed and received. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. He has come, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory. He is mighty to save. Will you receive him? Will you believe in his name?